Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Lisa Beatty, Executive Director for ABHE's Commission on Accreditation. Lisa will pull back the curtain on how accreditation recognition works in the United States and how she is actively working on behalf of ABHE members in Washington, D.C. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education. And we are honored to have as our guest this week, Lisa Beatty. Lisa is my colleague at ABHE, and uh, I've been looking forward, actually, to uh, recording this particular episode, as I do enjoy working uh, with you, and you do such a fantastic job with uh, ABHE's uh, Commission on Accreditation. But Lisa has spent most of her professional career in biblical higher education, having served at Emmaus Bible College prior Uh, to joining the team at ABHE. She started actually in higher education as a music instructor and worked her way up through administration at Emmaus, finishing her career there as chief academic officer. And I've invited Lisa today to talk about kind of an insider's view of what she does as she represents ABHE in our external relationships. So kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and chat with us about what it's like as she engages with the U.S. Department of Education and CHI, uh, as well as others. So welcome, Lisa, and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So glad to be with you today, Philip. So to kick off our conversation, before we pull back that curtain and take a look at uh, how you engage uh, our various stakeholders, um, as you reflect back uh, over your uh, experiences, share with us one defining moment that God used to propel you forward uh, in either your personal uh, or your professional life. That is a great question, and it is hard to narrow it down. But I have always been a planner, and you've already mentioned that uh, my early passion was music, and I knew I was going to teach music from age six, and everything that I did in school was directed toward that. And after my first decade as a college choral director, I never imagined doing anything else other than making music at the college level, but... About 25 years ago, I developed kind of a rare health issue that meant that full-time music making just wasn't going to be possible anymore for me. And that sort of turned into a bit of an identity crisis because if you musicians, you know, we don't just sing, we're singers, for example. And so it really took God working in my heart to show me that my core identity was not singer, but as his child. And he provided an opportunity for me to transition to higher education administration right where I was at Emmaus. And, but I will say that without 
the hand of the father in that situation. I would never have imagined a career in higher education administration or accreditation. There certainly are not little girls dreaming of growing up to be the executive director of an accrediting agency, but I'm in the place where I think God wants me to be at this point in my life. And so that really was a defining moment, just not in my professional career, but that brought me to ABHE. Yeah. And that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. And that's one of those things that life circumstances, health circumstances create opportunities for us as Christ followers to think about the situation of how, what defines me as a Christ follower. And is it my gifts and my talents and my abilities? Well, that's one aspect of it. But then when that's suddenly gone, that doesn't devalue who you are in Christ and the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And he certainly worked that out. It was funny. I spoke in chapel at one of our member institutions earlier this week. And uh, the way they did the introductions, they uh, asked uh, me a series of questions, one of the students. And one of the questions was, what did you want to be when you were growing up? And I'm not sure I would have said president of ABHE, right? It was a fireman was what I answered. But in his heart, a person plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And that's just so very clear and has been in, in your life. And it's been neat to see how God has used that for you and turned it into something actually very, very beautiful. So thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. So let's jump into some of these questions. You have been the executive director for ABHE's Commission on Accreditation now for two years, which is very hard to believe. You're starting your third year. What has surprised you the most as you've settled into the position? Yeah, you know, I thought I was going to spend a lot of time with institutions and helping them develop and figure out great strategies to thrive. And I do get to do those things, but I was surprised at the amount of time of my time that's focused on understanding and implementing regulatory requirements from the U.S. Department of Education or states, provinces, federal, all of those things, getting my my head around those. Right now, the pace of regulatory change at the federal level is really fast, really intense. My predecessor, Ron Kroll, was telling me that that often happens in year three and four of an administration. They have a lot of stuff they want to get done. And so it's really being actively reading. And, you know, this is not reading for pleasure. It's dense reading. It's really trying to understand exactly what they're getting at. And so that has been one piece of it. And then also just at the state and provincial level, We are a national accreditor. In fact, we are a North American accreditor. So it's also really understanding state requirements for institutions, provincial requirements for our Canadian institutions. They're all a little different. They're all applying principles that are shared, but, you know, they apply them in different ways in different places. And so really trying to get my arms around that has been a big part of it. Well, you've done a good job of of learning it. I remember when I came in as president, uh, Ron Kroll, who was in your seat, he retired from it before you came in. So there was a year there that I worked with him in his final year. And I sat him in front of a whiteboard and I said, okay, help me understand the alphabet soup of all of these different organizations and stakeholders that are involved with ABHE. 
And it was longer than an hour meeting for me to understand kind of the full picture. So we don't have an hour. In fact, this is just one question, but at a very, very high level, provide for us a, a look at how accreditation works. It's the alphabet soup. It's the USDE. It's Chia. It's Nasiki. Give us that broad perspective. Right. It does require a little bit of unpacking. It's not obvious. People sort of hear the alphabet soup thrown around, but it's it's a little bit complicated. And so let me try to unpack it a little bit. There are actually two entities that recognize or accredit, if you want to use that terminology, that accredit accreditors. The first is the U.S. Department of Education, which of course comes at it from a governmental perspective. And the second is the Council on Higher Education Accreditation, which is really a peer organization, an organization of peers, but both of them have roles in accrediting accreditors. So the U.S. government got into this because War II and the signing of what was the Servicemen's Readjustment Act into law. That was 1944. We call that generally the GI Bill. But because they, the federal government was giving money to soldiers that were returning from World War II, they had to have some mechanism for assuring the quality of those institutions. So they decided that these accrediting agencies were in place, and that was a good uh, group of people or a group of organizations to delegate that responsibility to. So in 1952, they started recognizing accreditors. Actually, ABHE was part of that first cohort of agencies that was recognized in 1952, and we've been recognized by the U.S. Department of Education continuously since that time. As far as the process for that recognition for the department, it is a five-year cycle and it's a two-year long process. So we are pretty much continuously doing work to maintain our recognition with the department. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. Which is, which is kind of an interesting piece to this, because uh, a lot of times we hear from our member institutions the self-study, the self-study process that they have to go through. In our case, it's a 10-year cycle, but we go through the same process with them too. Absolutely. With the submission of really the equivalent of a self-study, it's called a petition and that's reviewed. We have an analyst from the Department of Education who sits in our commission meetings and reads through every document, looks at our files. And so we go through really a very similar kind of process that our institutions do. Who else is involved? 
She is the other organization that's involved. And it had some predecessors called Corpa and Copa. But in 1996, she, as it is, was created through a referendum of college and university presidents who really wanted an independent, non-governmental body to oversee accreditation in the U.S. Chia's focus is a little different. So I mentioned that the USDE is concerned about the investment of federal funds in institutions. And so the quality assurance piece that goes with that. Chia's focus, uh, their stated focus is assuring student success through the academic quality of institutions and programs. So a very qualitative kind of approach to recognition. It's on a seven-year cycle, so of course we can't even match up our five-year and our seven-year recognition cycle. So again, it's really you know something that we're actively pursuing all the way along. So you know when you're looking at accreditation as a whole across the U.S., institutions that are accredited by an agency that's recognized by either the U.S. Department of Education or CHIA are viewed as accredited institutions. Of course, only institutions that are accredited by a USDE-recognized accreditor have access to Title IV funds. So, you know, you'll see other accreditors out there, but they're not accountable in the same way that recognized accreditors are. Right, right. And there's another there's another one another alphabet soup that I hear you talk about and that's Nasiki. So what's what's that? So Nasiki is it's the National Advisory Committee on Institutional Quality and Integrity. And that's that's the acronym Nasiki. It was established by Congress to participate in the recognition process of agencies. So it's sort of the public input to the recognition process. And there are congressional appointees from both sides of the aisle. There are some department appointees. It's constituted as a bipartisan committee, but we participate in an interview as part of the recognition process. And so there's a large committee. They assign readers So a primary reader and a secondary reader, they ask us lots of questions, and then they make a recommendation to the Department of Education about our recognition as an agency. And and so out of all of the, so that's the one that's connected to the U.S. Department of Education, and that's out of all of it is probably the more politically uh, influenced group that would engage in conversation with us? Well, I I think, again, it is constituted as a bipartisan group, but of course, Congress has the opportunity to name people, appoint people to the committee, and that is based on the makeup of Congress at the time. So I think there there certainly is, it really is a, a conversation that you have that relates to some very, it can be related to some very specific items in the news, items that are important at the moment. And so from that perspective, certainly. I will also say that the Department of Education, while it's a regulatory body, is really has the flavor of 
the administration, the, the priorities of the administration that's in power. And so they have certain things that they are seeking to accomplish as an administration that, that comes through in the regulations that we see. So I would say that the Department of Education with Nasiki maybe has a little bit more of a flavor that is political, and that's probably a little less so in the Chia environment. Which probably, and without knowing the history of the organizations, perhaps was a compelling reason why Chia uh, was formed in the in the first place, uh, to have some some sense of that of that independence. Right, and one of the challenges, of course, with the Department of Education is that the priorities change from administration to administration, and if you're talking about let's say a five-year process for recognition that you start two years before, you know, you're, you're sort of overlapping various administrations and their priorities. And so that's one of the challenges of maintaining recognition is the fact that the regulatory uh, environment changes over time and agencies have to be responsive so that they can maintain their recognition. And I think also there's just, you know, topics that become sort of public topics over time. Um, and so we have to be ready to respond to those things as well. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a, a bit of a provocative, potentially provocative question here. And you've been in the seat now for a couple of years. And so you've had an opportunity to engage with people from Chia. You've had opportunity to engage with people within the U.S. Department of Education. You've sat before a Nasiki hearing. Describe for us how you have been perceived by them, you being the representative of ABHE. How is ABHE viewed with our, because our institutions are religious? Uh, a lot of times, or in every instance, are conservative in their approach. So how are we perceived? How is ABHE, how are our institutions perceived within the context of the U.S. Department of Education and, and GIA? It's a great question, and I can only sort of give you my perspective based on two years in the seat. But I will start by saying that I think my predecessors in the role laid a great foundation. The fact that we were one of those agencies recognized first in 1952 and have been continuously recognized since then, I think says a lot about the quality of the work that ABHE has done over time. My own experience, I think the Department of Education and certainly our analyst has worked very hard to understand who we are. She spent countless hours reading our policies and documentation. And so she really was able to describe that for Nasiki and answer questions related to those things. She's been very willing to provide guidance on regulations and process when it was requested. We have a great relationship, I think. I think that the department, and Chia as well, works hard to make the issue compliance with legislative and regulatory requirements. I have not sensed that there's an issue because of the kind of accreditor that we are, which you know I find very gratifying. You just don't know exactly what to expect. But like I said, you know the regulatory environment itself can and does reflect the priorities of a given 
administration. So it's really important that we take the opportunity and that institutions take the opportunity to speak into the regulatory and legislative processes when we have the opportunity. My experience so far has been that compliance with sort of the legislative and regulatory stuff is the really what matters to the department in their review. But because, you know, those priorities can change over time, depending on the administration. I think it's really important for institutions to speak into the regulatory and legislative processes when they have the opportunity to do that. Right, right. Just as an example of how we're viewed, and not going to brag here, but ABHE received its most recent recognition in November of 2022, so just less than a year ago, with no follow-up reporting required, which is actually pretty unusual at this point in time. Many agencies have some sort of required follow-up or compliance reports. So that, I think, is a reflection of the good work that our institutions are doing, the good work that our commission does, which is, of course, a peer a peer body of people made up. It's made up from people in our institutions. And so I was really gratified that and felt like I was sort of leaning on the good work of people who had come before and enjoying the benefits of reaffirmation with no required reporting. And it dispels, I think, some of the reaction that both you and I have received as we work with institutions whose perception, who, who don't have accreditation. There are uh, probably hundreds of institutions who operate without accreditation, certainly not something that's required. It's a voluntary thing. And some of them respond back, well, you know, accreditation means that the government is telling you what you have to do. And, And while there's an element of regulatory reality to that, they're very much focused on what's your mission? What evidence do you have that demonstrates the fact that you are meeting that particular mission? And that that has that's true for our institutions. And that's also true for us as accreditors, as we work within the context of other non-religious accreditors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for the Department of Education in particular, it's do you have policies in place as an accreditor? that meet the regulatory requirements? And do you live with those policies? Do you, are you compliant with those policies that you have in the way that you interact with your institutions? And these are things that we can demonstrate well. We have demonstrated them well. And so, sure, there are ways in which <clears throat> we're required. But the reality is that The things that matter to the department are, do we have policies in place that align with regulatory requirements, and do we follow those policies? And that is definitely something that we can demonstrate. It is true that there are some things that ABHE institutions do because of federal regulatory requirements, particularly related to Title IV funding, those kinds of things. But at this point in time, I think that relationship is very manageable. And I've just been very thankful for the work that the U.S. Department of Education does 
to support quality of accrediting agencies and thus institutions in providing the education we provide. You and I have, like I said, have been working now together for a couple of years. And these approvals that you've that we've had to go through means that you actually have to appear in front of a, a committee, in front of a group. So tell us about that. I, I know from hearing your all of your preparation and then your responses afterwards, what's it like appearing before Nasiki and Chia? How do you prepare? Is it something that you look forward to and you're ready to go? Like what what's bring us into your reality when you have to sit before those groups? Well, I'll have to let you know in the future what it's like to appear before Chia because I haven't had that opportunity yet. But we did have some follow-up reporting that was due in this last year. And I will admit to a quick word of prayer before reading their responses to our report. So there's a sense in which for all of these recognition processes that we as commission staff feel a real sense of responsibility to our institutions for maintaining that recognition and maintaining the positive reputation that we have with Chia and Nasiki. But I certainly can tell you a little bit about what it was like to prepare for Nasiki. And I had a little bit of an extra wrinkle last July when this happened because about two weeks before I contracted COVID, And so I was just really concerned that I wasn't going to end up with COVID brain and not be able to answer questions clearly. There's definitely some stress involved in the recognition process, particularly the Nasiki hearing, because you don't know exactly what they're going to want to ask about. And of course, our institutions uh, receive about $40 million in Title IV funding every year. And so, you know, as the person who's answering questions, you don't want to get those wrong. You don't want to say the wrong thing. I spent about probably 40 hours preparing for this two-hour Nasiki hearing Part of that was to develop about a 30-minute introduction in which we really worked to answer all their questions before they asked them, which I have, have found to be the right approach. But committee members ask about specific policies, documents in the file that they've reviewed, even sometimes specific accreditation decisions related to specific institutions. And they also really want to dig into the data that the department collects on various institutions receiving Title IV funding. So it takes a lot of preparation to be able to answer those questions succinctly and with good information and fully so that they're so that they are satisfied by those answers and so there there was some stress i had colleagues there so shane wood was with me michael jackson was with me and kevin hester who at the time was the chair of our commission but you know they're directing most questions to the executive director and so we prayed we prepared and in the end uh, we were very thankful with the result. And you know right away, right? They take a vote. So you kind of know what their perspective is. Yes, we definitely know what their recommendation to the department is at the end of that time. And 
I've sat through Nisiki hearings now for two years. So I didn't just attend ours, I attend all of them so that I can get a sense of like, what are the topics that matter to Nisiki right now? And how did other accreditors address this question? That kind of thing. And so I've, I've watched several of them and, you know, there's some back and forth, some debate about answers to our questions, but we're sitting there. We can't say anything at that point, no clarifications, but they're debating back and forth about what that recommendation is going to be and they vote. And so, you know, you can have, it's a majority for sure. That's the recommendation. But so you're watching that all play out. And that deliberation took probably at least a half hour, maybe 45 minutes in our case. But in the end, they agreed with the recommendation of the department that we receive recognition for five years with no follow-up. And when we heard that, there was a lot of celebrating going on in the room. And in fact, our, our liaison called us right away, right from the room to congratulate us on the completion of that work. So it was exciting and I'm glad we don't do it for another three and a half years. There you go. You're you're counting the days till the yeah. next time you have the opportunity. So <laughs> right. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for kind of giving us that insider's perspective. And I think it's important for our listeners to just realize the role the ABHE plays at in relating to the external regulators on behalf of our membership. And uh, a lot of obviously what we do is working with our institutions, but recognizing there's a whole nother element to, to what we do, and that's working with those government and non-government agencies. So. Close us out. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just from a Chia perspective, you know, it's a it's a different kind of a process, but engaging with Chia has led to some opportunities for us to be a part of the annual conference, to be able to speak to various policy issues that are before us uh, within the nation. These are really two-way relationships where we're going through the recognition process, but based on those relationships, we have an opportunity to speak into issues in the higher education environment. Well, you do such a wonderful job with it. In our last uh, closing minute here, what do you think accreditation will look like? What, what a question for a one-minute answer. What do you think accreditation will look like 20 years from now? I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. However, I, I will tell you, it's sort of hard to know. I never thought that accreditation would be a talking point in a presidential campaign, but here we are in 2023. So I will say this, there will always be a need to assure quality for those who invest time and resources in biblical higher education. That's our students, our their families, our donors, and for those who employ graduates of ABHE institutions, churches, ministries, employers. So whatever happens at the federal and state level as it relates to what accreditation is going to look like in the future, there is going to be a need for our efforts to advance quality in biblical higher education for kingdom impact. I think one of the hallmarks of the North American higher education context is the incredible diversity of institutional types, research universities, regional universities, liberal arts colleges, community colleges, faith-based colleges and universities, just to name a few. 
And students have a lot of choices in our context. And we serve the public good by assuring quality in a small but really critical sector of the higher education market, those institutions that make study of the Bible a central feature of their curriculum. And it's just really an honor to be able to serve in this role and to serve with you, Philip, and to serve our institutions and the students that attend them. So, Well, on, on behalf of, of ABHE membership, on behalf of the executive leadership team at ABHE, we are very thankful for the work that you do. And it's intense work. It's precise work. And I think you're the perfect person uh, to step into that with the gifts and talents. And going back to uh, the beginning of our conversation, God had a bigger plan for you that didn't involve music, but it involves some of what those skill sets require just in a totally different context. So on behalf of all of us, Lisa, thank you uh, for your time today. Thank you for addressing uh, some some issues. Thank you for pulling back the curtain uh, and for us to get a little bit better sense of how ABHE Uh, engages with our external uh, uh, relationships. So until next time, stay kingdom focused. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.